Everyone had their hands in the air, singing and shouting and celebrating. Of course, I'm talking about the University of Virginia fans in the Minneapolis Stadium. <laughs> back in, Char back in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia as well, Monday night after their overtime victory in the 2019 NCAA Championship. In full disclosure, this is my first sports story in 25 years of preaching. <laughs> And I am one of six Wahoos, which means UVA graduates in my family. So I'm a rather partial to the outcome. But confetti is falling, some of you saw this, from the ceiling. Fans are going wild as their scrappy and determined team has just pulled out a hard-won championship victory for the first time in their school's history. The stadium is electrified. It's pure joy for those who won. But there's another scene taking place within that scene. In the midst of this massive celebration for UVA and tragic defeat for Texas Tech, as the horn blows, a man is sitting on a stool with his head bowed, the winning coach, Tony Bennett, for the Cavaliers. He was praying. He described the scene, given their massive humiliation the year prior when they were seeded number one and were out in the first round by the 16th seed team. Media outlets call, called this year's win, a, this comeback, a redemption. One news outlet said, Virginia gives hope to humiliated losers everywhere. <laughs> Here's what Tony Bennett said about that. That night, He said, I'm thankful in a way for what happened last year because it drew me closer, most importantly, to my faith in the Lord. It drew me closer to my wife and children just because you realize what's unconditional. I think there's a bigger plan going on here. I didn't need it, but I was used in it. I hope that this is a message for some people out there. There can be hope, joy, and resiliency. I'm thankful for what just happened. That's why I did what I did at the end. When that horn went off, I just put my head down and said, thank you. I'm humbled, Lord, because I don't deserve to be in this spot, but you chose me to be here, and I'll give thanks. Tony's the one guy in the room who really gets what mattered. He's grateful to God, and he's humble. From the cheering crowd to the humble coach, something similar is going on in our two readings today from Mark. Our first reading describes the accolades for a king, the promised Messiah has come, the fulfillment of all the prophecy, and the people are gathering, celebrating, because they believe this is on the cusp of a political justice and victory for them. And yet... Jesus had something different in mind. He had come not to an earthly throne. He had come for a spiritual revolution that was going to take him very soon to death on the cross on the journey to resurrection. These crowds would, in short order, be very confused and disappointed by what was happening in the coming days. The epic worship on Palm Sunday, cheers and shouts and palm branches waving, praising God in celebration is going on, but the camera lens shifts focus 
to what's happening in the home of a healed leper, Simon, a humble story of extravagant devotion. Like Tony, this unnamed woman is the one person in the room that gets what's really going on here. Let's see what God's up to in her story in Mark chapter 14. Let's take a look at the last verse in that chapter that we read for this morning. In verse 9, Jesus is saying, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. He's saying, the gospel, the good news, that which is about me, is not only going to be told here at this dinner table tonight in Bethany or in Israel, but it's going to the ends of the earth, to the whole world. His good news is extending. And in the midst of that, this woman's story is also going to be remembered. That's a big commendation. And we see right before this, the Pharisees plotting his death because they believe that to kill Jesus is the only way to keep peace. And right after her story, we see Judas leaving to go betray Jesus. So tucked between those two stories, we have this beautiful act of intimacy and of love. Now, in our example today, which certainly the unnamed woman is for us, both Mark and Matthew do not name her and we might ask, why did they choose not to give her name? Simon the leper had a name, but not her. Well, perhaps that's because the focus is meant to be on Jesus and on her act of devotion to him that showed that's the focal point, not me. I'm a conduit of what God's doing here. And maybe in the same way, we're meant to put our name in as that unnamed person bringing our gifts and our devotion to our Lord and Savior. Like the coach that bowed his head, it wasn't about his own glory. Well, what did she do that was so worthy? I would say that she saw Jesus for who he truly was. Let's look again at verse 3 through 5 to see how this happens. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. So I want you to imagine with me the scene for women in that day, their role when there was a table set and a meal going on was simply to come in and to serve and to exit quietly. But this woman chose to do something radically different that day. She took an alabaster flask like this, which would have been from that time in that part of the world, and she came in and she chose to disrupt what was going on. And she broke the flask and anointed Jesus, pouring it over his head. And you imagine her back in the room before she walks into that dining table where Nathan had described Jesus is lounged with his disciples and others. Was she thinking about how she would be received? How they would scorn her for this radical decision to insert herself in their meal and to do such a costly, seemingly wasteful act on behalf of Jesus? What must have motivated her 
Clearly, Jesus must have touched her life in a dramatic way or the life of someone she loved that transformed the world that would lead her to take such a risk. She was courageous and acted regardless of the consequences. And the word there for scolded her or rebuked her is also the word for snorted and roared. So you can imagine, it wasn't just a little tisk tisk tisk, right? She got a lot of verbal abuse for having stepped into this place and done what she did. But she did it out of love. And it's perhaps true, she had a sense, she had listened to all the words Jesus had been speaking of, the Son of Man must be handed over to die and I go to Jerusalem for my death. She knew what was coming in the story. And she thought, there isn't much time left. I need to tell him what I want him to know before the end. And you think about people you love in your life. And we always want that chance to say that one thing. If we knew they were dying, we want to be able to tell them how we really feel about them. Do you know how much I really love you? Do you know what you mean to me? And for some, we think about that when we're thinking of loved ones, and we think, yeah, I want to tell them how wonderful their gift of love is in my life. And for others, it might be, I wish we could have mended that broken fence what I would have said if I knew I didn't have much time. We want to live without regrets, without staying safe, being like this woman in our extravagance saying, thank you, thank you. And why did she do that? It's because she knew how far Jesus' love would go. And we know even more of that story. And as we know that and hold it in our hearts, we find ourselves truly worshiping him as she did. True worship is a response of gratitude. It's our loving God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we just can't help ourselves. It's just there, right? Just like those fans cheering. They couldn't help themselves. Heaven's going to be a much bigger celebration of us not being able to hold back what we want to give to God. Worship is also being connected to God. It's being present with God. And it's paying attention to the circumstances God puts in your life for a reason. She saw God's plan. She may have known that as she heard the murmuring of the crowd and what was going to come to Jesus, that he may be going forward towards a criminal's death. And in that time, only criminals were not anointed for burial. So in her obedience to God, by giving this costly gift, what she was doing was preparing his body in a way that it would not have the opportunity to be prepared later. It was an act of tenderness, devotion, adoration, just like we saw with the widow's mite who gave those two copper coins, which was all that she had in the temple offering. Extravagant. Let's look at what Jesus does for the woman. In verses 6 through 8, we see him saying to those who are scoffing her, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. Jesus protects this unnamed woman, and he defends her. 
He says this beautiful thing. It's also translated this good work that she has done. And the phrase can also be translated, what she had, she did. And what I love about that text is it's saying, you have what is needed to worship God, to give to the world. You, you are already owning that, whatever that is uniquely for you. And yet, it's going to be costly. Jesus is also exposing the absurdity of the ethical debate going on around him about the poor. We know that Jesus cared deeply for the poor throughout his ministry. And yet what he's saying at that moment is, you're missing the point. I am here now, and I'm going away. That flask was broken. Expensive perfume, seemingly wasted, was poured out, just as in short order, his body was going to be broken and his life and blood was going to be poured out for the sins of the world and for our salvation. The father gave the ultimate gift, his son. God's love, too, is extravagant. Coach Tony Bennett and the unnamed woman anointing Jesus were able to see Jesus for who he truly is. And we have that opportunity this week in Holy Week. There are great spaces being provided to encounter Jesus, whether it's coming to another intimate table meal at Monday Thursday or being part of the prayer vigil, spending time alone with God, or coming to the Good Friday service to hear Jesus' last words on the cross. Finally, we take the journey to his rising on Easter morning. And as we see who Jesus really is, we are drawn to worship him with love and gratitude. When I've thought about this woman understanding Jesus was about to die and knowing who he is that inspires our true worship, it reminded me of time I spent with the Nineheis family. Some of you attended their, the memorial service that took place a few weeks ago here for Sandy Nineheis. Michael gave an incredibly powerful testimony to his wife's life and faith with his daughter by his side. With Michael and Raleigh's permission, I want to share with you what it was like to be invited into their space with, during Sandy's last days. Sandy was a woman who loved the Lord so much that it just shone out of her, and even more so as she drew nearer and nearer to him as she moved further and further into the life to come. In that sacred space, I gathered with Michael and Sandy and their adult daughter, Raleigh, it was holy ground. There was no doubt that the angels were bending low and we were in a thin place, as the Celts put it, where the heaven draws so near we're practically bumping up against it. The home had, the room we were in had a skylight above us and even though it was a gray day outside, it was as if the whole house was standing in a beam of light. Not only was I struck by the light, but there was so much love in the room, it was palpable. I'll never forget the tenderness and love in the husband and daughter's eyes for their beloved as we spoke of the wonders God was revealing to them in this time. Their gaze on her as I read scripture and prayed with them were being fully here and now in the moment, enjoying those final hours and moments that they had together. They knew what really mattered most. Sandy knew too. 
When words were few in her final days, she asked that 10,000 reasons be sung and had worship surrounding her with Katie and Scott playing. Even the lead singer from Need to Breathe showed up and gave the family a private concert, hearing how much she liked the song Multiplied. He had heard her story and just happened to be playing that night at the Palace Theater in Stamford from North Carolina, God's perfect timing. Love and worship kept pouring out of Sandy till her last breath. That is extravagant worship. Eternal hope never dies. God continues to use her life to bless others, even in her death. And like the unnamed woman, Sandy's story continues to be told in memory of her. Jesus poured out his extravagant love for you and me, and we have an opportunity to respond like the coach or the unnamed woman and the Nine Heist family in gratitude and worship. Amen.